This podcast is brought to you by StoryKingBooks.com. Sign up to receive a free copy of my latest ebook novella, Kane's Confession. If you would like to learn how to support this show, visit www.patreon.com forward slash the Story King. And now for today's episode. Welcome to the Story King Podcast, the show all about fiction, film, and form. I'm your host, John Carlo, and today I have award-winning young adult and children's book author, Judy Lawfer. Judy Lawfer is the author of seven books, including books for children and two award-winning young adult true stories. She is the child of Holocaust survivors, and I really think you're going to enjoy today's episode. So here's my conversation with Judy Lawfer. Well, welcome to the Story King podcast, Judy. And thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, glad you're here. So I always ask my guests right off the bat that... I want to hear their story. So, so Judy, why don't you tell us your story, a little bit about who you are and what you do? Okay, great. So, uh, my name is Judy Lawfer, and I was born in uh, Budapest, Hungary. And my parents came to Canada when I was about two. I became a teacher. I taught kindergarten for several years. And probably that's where my love of writing and reading and storybooks came from. I've always liked to do writing and um, I always love children's books. I like how, you know, the creativeness mm -hmm. of the artist, of the storyteller. So I am, I personally do collect children's books as well. My background is early childhood education. I graduated with an early childhood degree and I worked as a kindergarten teacher. And while I worked as a kindergarten teacher, I did curriculum development as well. So yeah. often within my books, I have a lot of educational pieces that are kind of hidden within the story uh, because of my background. I think that's really a good sort of description of who I am. Awesome. Now, I also understand your parents were Holocaust survivors. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. So my parents uh, were both Holocaust survivors. As a matter of fact, my in-laws were also Holocaust survivors, mm. which is typically unusual that um, a Holocaust survivor's child marries another Holocaust survivor's <laughs> child. Right. But it kind of gave us something comfortable because we both understood where our families came from. My mom was in Auschwitz, so she survived Auschwitz, but wow. none of her family did. So her oh. parents, her siblings, nobody else survived. Uh, she came back at 17 years old with no family. Wow. Uh, my dad was in a labor camp and he, his sister was in a concentration camp and she did not survive, but his parents did oh. survive. He has one, he had one brother that survived. Um, yeah, so it was pretty difficult time, pretty difficult time for them. Sure. Um, yeah. Wow. Now, you have a young adult book called Choices. Is that sort of like, uh, a, it's a true story, right? Based on your, it your is parents? It is a true story. Okay. Yes, it, it is a true story. And um, so I just talked a little bit about uh, that they were survivors. And yeah. so they went back to Hungary when they survived. Uh, the only thing they knew was where they lived, which was in Hungary. 
So they went back after the war and they met each other, married, had a couple of children. And, um, and then Russia, that had actually been an ally with the Americans when they liberated the camps, came into Hungary and decided to stay. So all of a sudden, Hungary fell under Russian rule, which is a very sort of um, interesting topic right now with current affairs with Russia and how they've taken over different countries. So for my parents, because they were Holocaust survivors, they always had this fear of the Holocaust happening again. You know, you'll often hear from many people, you know, when the Holocaust was happening, many people would say, well, it's happening over there, but it's not going to happen over here. Mm. And so they had heard about what was going on in Poland and Germany, and but they lived in Hungary and and with the media not being as um, as prevalent as it is now and no 24-7 news, they would hear from people who had escaped one place or the other and would come and tell you the news of what had happened or they would hear on radio what was going on. But oftentimes people would say, well, it happened there, but it's never gonna happen here. I mean, that's just not. So when the revolution, when the Hungarian revolution broke out, for many of the people like my parents, uh, they saw sort of a familiar scene. They saw similar things that were happening during uh, the Holocaust time. Mm. So the fear of that this was going to happen again, and obviously for many people, as as I found out that 200,000 people, so when we think about that, 200,000 people left during that, escaped during that time, because wow, yeah. the borders had closed. Uh, and yes, so the book, Choices, is about, there is actually the escape story. So it's their escape story of how they escaped uh, from Hungary under Russian rule and uh, some of the people that were able to help them and some of the people uh, that made it difficult for them to leave. And uh, again, now you're seeing a, a young family. So uh, it was my parents. I'm the two-year-old in the story. Uh, <laughs> okay. And my brother was five. And so they're now escaping with two young children and what that involves and how difficult that is when you now are not only worrying about yourself, but your family. Wow. So, yeah, it's uh, it's very interesting story. No, it sounds like a powerful story. I, d I definitely want to want to read that. And that's available on Amazon. On Amazon. Yep. Okay. Amazon on our website. Um, yes, it's now actually I it will be an audible in the near future because oh, cool. I have a company that that contacted me and wants to do the audible. Very cool. And now you have another young adult novel, right, called Hidden Pearl. Yes. What's that one about? Yes. So that's another true story. So as I mentioned, oh. uh, my in-laws were also Holocaust survivors. Mm. And uh, my, mo my mother-in-law was a hidden child during the war. So that's kind of a different piece of what was happening in World War II and during the Holocaust. So she never went to one of the camps. She looked very Aryan. She had blonde hair, blue eyes. And uh, she was able to hide within plain sight with a Polish family. Now the Polish family did not know she was Jewish. So she hid her identity. She created a new identity for herself. Wow. And she had to live in, under that identity for four years until the war was over. The, I think the interesting part about this, besides that which was difficult, she was 10 years old. 
So imagine a 10-year-old having the burden of becoming a different person and knowing that if they found out she was Jewish, that they would turn her in. Wow. So, so and it's also a true story and also really powerful in terms of uh, overcoming adversity, for sure. So she's the hidden pearl in the story, I'm, I'm assuming. Her name is Pearl. Oh, Her name okay. is Pearl. <laughs> yes. So <laughs> she's the cool. hidden pearl. So that's where the title comes from. You're absolutely right. Now, I know these stories are based off of your family and your husband's family. Um, but did you have to do a lot of external research for these books, too, to get like the feel for the time and everything? Or did they have enough information for you to write both of these books? Uh, no, absolutely. I needed to do a lot of research. Mm -hmm. uh, I knew a lot about it from them. But fortunately, there's a lot of material on the Internet. There's quite a lot of material, a lot of uh, stories, uh, a lot of actual uh, research pieces on what had happened during the Holocaust. The Holocaust is a very researched, very well-researched topic, as you probably know. Sure. And uh, I am also involved with the Washington Holocaust Museum. Mm. And so they had a lot of material on their website. Uh, but um, uh, quite a bit of the material from my story, from Choices, which was my family story, um, my father had also left audio tapes. So he had left audio tapes of his recollections of what had happened during that time. He is no longer alive. So unfortunately I couldn't mm. interview him, but I obviously did interview my mom and she was able to provide a lot of firsthand testimony of what had gone on. And um, certainly during the escape piece, which most of her story is really about escaping hungry during Russian occupation, what that felt like, what that looked like. Hmm. Um, so that's, that's where that came from. And my mother-in-law with being uh, the Holocaust story, more of the Holocaust story, again, a lot of information online about, about actually hidden children. The interesting piece that I discovered was that it was, there were two different groups. There were hidden children that were hidden like Anne Frank in an attic somewhere or in a basement somewhere. And there were people like my mother-in-law who were hidden in plain sight because mm. they could do that. Each story is unique in their own way. They're similar, but different. Right. So yeah, very interesting for, just for my own knowledge, it was very interesting for me to do a lot of that research because it was amazing how much I didn't know. Right. Yeah. Very cool. Now, I understand you were very young, like two. Do you have any fragmented memories of that time or that's all gone? I, I don't. I don't have any at all. However, when the book came out, my brother read it. And we had some very interesting conversation because he had some memories. He was almost five at the time. Oh. And he often had dreams of sort of being hidden under hay or hearing um, bombs going off or hearing machine guns. And he never really knew where that came from. Oh. So after the story was written and after he read it, uh, we were able to have some very interesting conversations. And he actually had quite a few memories of that time. There was a, a young girl who helped my family, who made, uh, who made the, trans the successful transition for my parents. She was a 16-year-old girl, and she actually helped my parents. She was a Christian girl, and she's got her own fascinating story and learning about her and learning how her family had helped and how they had been terribly unselfish 
and really just wanted to be uh, helpful uh, had been an unbelievable resource for my family. Wow. So that was, uh, that was another interesting piece of the research that happened. And I have since reconnected with her. She lives in Vienna. Oh. And uh, we write back and forth on the internet and she only speaks German. Of course, I speak no German and uh, we do Google translate back and forth, but we've been able to kind of keep up on each other and find out, you know, what's going on. And I've, I've had the opportunity to meet her family. We we went to Austria and met her and oh. met her family. And she is, they are really a remarkable family because I often wondered why would a 16 year old really care about other people, you know, right. to the point of they actually, we lived with them. They invited us to their house. We lived with them. Wow. So, yeah. It was pretty amazing. That's very, that's very cool. So the research process was a very rich process and learning all these things and meeting these, these people. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, really the, um, the reason to write the book really was not to, to make it available for the public. It was really for my own family. It was really research for myself and my family to have something uh, that connected all the pieces of this fragmented story. As we were growing up, my parents would tell us little bits and pieces of what had happened. But often you don't get a really good feel for a story until you sort of see the beginning, middle and end. So that was really my goal to create the whole story, to get a full understanding of what had happened. And you're right in creating that. It was a, it was an incredibly rich experience for me to be able to sort of find those connectors to the story. And I think it's amazing too, that your brother had these dreams throughout the years. There was something internalized in him from the experience that he didn't have the conscious awareness of, but it, it came from that experience. And that, that's- Yes, wild. absolutely. So when he read about it in the story, I think it triggered some of those memories. And he thought, wow, I remember thinking, I remember dreaming about that right. and never really knew why I'm dreaming about it. So clearly it was a pretty traumatic time and uh, and I think they talk about in terms of psychologists talk about the things you remember are the things that are in some way very significant, either in a good way or a bad way. But they there is sort of a significant event in your life. You know, I, I recently interviewed another writer by the name of Heike Boehm. She writes it from a German perspective. Her parents were children during that whole time and uh, her book is called secrets in the shadows and it's about these two boys growing up in nazi germany who joined the hitler youth and uh, and then they become wow. uh, you know disillusioned by the whole experience after after some time passes but i want to ask you the same thing that i asked her i feel like we never tire of reading these stories about the holocaust and that whole time period almost every year it seems a new book a new movie comes out why do you think people are so fascinated by this particular part of history so that's a great question because i am out at schools i do well not now obviously with covid but i have been out at middle schools and high schools and spoke to students and there is a huge fascination both with adults and with students about the holocaust and i for me i think in my opinion i would say a lot of the fascination stems from that it's so incredible it's so incredible that this happened it's so um it's so dark in so many ways, but and unbelievable that people treated each other that way, mm -hmm. that it's hard to wrap your head around that this actually could happen, that people could 
treat each other that way, that, um, that people could survive something like that, that um, I, I think it's, it's each story has a unique piece to it. And every time you hear it, you think, how is that possible? How is that possible that, first of all, that people would allow this, that people would treat each other that way? And then if it was me, how would I ever survive that? How would you ever survive losing your whole family and starting your life over again? And where do you begin? And uh, so I think there's a huge fascination about uh, human resilience, I would Mm say. Right. It's like this built in underdog story immediately. There's so many stories that emerged from it. But you're right. It's this incredible time and such a dark time. I remember. Have you ever read The Boy in the Striped Pajamas? Have you ever read that? I did not read the book, but I did see the movie. You did see the movie. Well, at the end of the book, the author says something like something to the effect of, and we know this can never happen in the modern world. And he kind of says it in this satirical way because, you know, it wasn't that long ago that this happened. Uh, and that's why there was such fear for my parents during the, Hunga- during the Hungarian Revolution, because all of a sudden they saw some similar things and, and they had said, people had said before this could never happen, this will never happen, this is you know impossible and yet it did happen. Mm-hmm. And so when you start to see sort of pieces of, uh, of trouble happening for people who've experienced such major events in their life, uh, there is a bigger fear, they, they know more. Um, again, I always, I always think about, you know, you don't know what you don't know, but you do know what you know. Right. You know, and your experiences really do uh, shape, you know, your feelings and your thoughts and your, you know, your emotions. Absolutely. So let's switch gears a little bit. I want to talk about you as a writer. Were you always a writer? Did you start out young? So, you know, it's interesting because when, again, it's been interesting, it's been an interesting journey for me. Uh, I did write when I was younger. I was a big fan of poetry and, um, you know, two of the people I would say that influenced me the most are Walt Disney and Dr. Seuss. And you'll see that a lot in my writing, in my children, in my young children's books, that they're very magical, like Disney, very bright colors like Disney, and very crazy, zany characters like Dr. Seuss. And then also the language, the type of language was very interesting to me. So I love rhyming. I love the whole feeling of rhyming verse. I love... um, you know, I love how it sounds. I love how it looks. I just, uh, it's something that really fascinated me from, from a young age, but I did, I did other kinds of writing as well. And I always, uh, I always liked kind of imaginary stories. That was something that from a very young age, friends of mine would say to me, you know, I remember you making up this fun play for us when we were like 10 years old. And, you know, and so I think it does come from, you know, it comes from a young age. It's something that you're interested in or you're not interested in. And, um, and wordplay was always interesting to me, you know, different meanings of words, different ways to use words, descriptions, Um, so yeah, I I would say it sort of stems from way back. Uh, I did a lot of curriculum writing when I was uh, in education, different, totally different type of writing. But again, I always chose to use sort of a creative piece of that. So I would try to make the, whatever I was developing a little more creative, a little more fun, a little more user-friendly. 
And, uh, and I think it's because it, it's what uh, was interesting to me. It's what I was drawn to. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So I think, yes, I, I would say it definitely started early on that it was something that, you know, there are children that will say to you, they hate writing. They don't like writing. It's boring. I don't know what to say. Uh, you know, that was really never me. I, I right. kind of always sort of enjoyed the whole writing process. Hey, everybody. I hope you're enjoying this episode. I just wanted to take the opportunity to let you know about a brand new resource I recently published. If you're interested in starting your own podcast, I've created an ebook called Launch Your Podcast Like a Pro that walks you through all the little details of producing and launching your own show. So for less than $5, you can own this resource by visiting storykingbooks.com or amazon.com. Those links will be in the show notes. And now back to today's episode. And do you consider yourself more of a children's writer or a young adult writer? Because you do both, so. Yes. So um, I really, I, I consider myself, to be honest, both. But probably more of my writing is in the early childhood area. I do enjoy that personally more because it. It's uh, just fun. I mean, it's really, in a word, it's fun for me. It's fun to create the characters. It's fun to create the writing. It's fun to think of these stories. The young adult books were really kind of a personal journey for me. So it was about making sure that those stories were kept alive and that they were available. And, you know, once I realized that other people were interested in, in, in that story that, um, you know, I went ahead and published, but those were not really ones that I would personally have done had I not had a personal connection to it. So the, um, the, my writing in the future will probably be more geared to that young child, the three to eight-year-old, three to seven-year-old, uh, preschooler to first grade, early reader, uh, starting to read wanting to start their own library and then they can pull the book out and read it themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, I think, yeah. So I would say I would probably see myself more as a, as a, a writer for young children. Gotcha. Uh, the, the piece that I do want to share with you that's kind of interesting though, is that what I discovered was that when you're writing for young children, you're actually writing for two audiences. So though I'm writing books for young children, I'm also writing for the parents. Absolutely. So I want to make it, a uh, fun book for parents to read. So in a sense, I'm writing for adults and I'm writing for children at the same time. Right. We read uh, Dr. Seuss too, to our kids. Well, they're a little bit older now, but uh, I enjoy doc Dr. Seuss as well and Shel Silverstein and all those guys. Yes. They're both enjoyable. Right. They're both enjoyable for the parents and the kids. So that's a different, that's a difficult uh, thing to balance, you know, like they seem simple, but it's actually uh, a exactly. more complicated <laughs> process. Exactly. No, absolutely. And, you know, when I write, I really look at that, I, you know, for young children, I really look at the idea that I want it to be something that the parents will enjoy as well. And that the topics are, though done in a simplistic way, are pretty heavy topics. So they're topics that definitely will appeal to the adults and will make adults think as well. And um, I think, for instance, the book that just came out just in, in um, 
in August, The Very Unhappy Visitor. And that one was about finding your own happiness. So not blaming others when things go wrong, but looking at what you could do to make yourself happy. So again, pretty big topic. I mean, adults can use that too, when they blame others and when they say that, you know, somebody else had made me unhappy. You know, usually somebody else doesn't make you unhappy. It's you who makes you happy. And so though we can talk about that at a young age, we could certainly do that at an older age too. It's funny that you say that nearly all self-development books, which I read a bunch of, are all about personal responsibility. Personal responsibility, but sometimes that's something we can, as adults, can look at and say, am I, you know, am I doing that myself? Absolutely. I know you wrote the young adult books to connect the dots for yourself. And it was more of a, you know, completing the story of your own family. But what are some things that you do have to keep in mind when writing for a young adult opposed to somebody older? Was that something you were even conscious of when you were writing that you wanted it to be for young adults? Was that something you were conscious of? So um, for for the young adult audience, um, it was it was important to keep it at a certain length. So I, so the books are not very long. They're a hundred page, a little over a hundred pages. So one of the things that's helpful for young adults is when the book is not overpowering. If they were to pick up a book that was 400 pages, chances are, even if it was the best story ever, they wouldn't read it. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to make sure it was easy for them to read. It was easy for them to have a complete story within a limited amount of time that they could complete, that they could feel successful. And the other thing that uh, that was important was to keep it a fast-paced story. So often you lose interest. Young adults are, they've got, especially now with all of the media outlets and all of the Facebook and all, all of their social media, they don't have a lot of time and they don't have a lot of attention. So to keep their attention, it's often like young children, that you have to keep things a bit more fast-paced. You have to keep them engaged throughout the story. I wrote the story very much uh, in mind with every chapter sort of ends with a, with with the reader having say, well, I wonder what happened next. Well, I wonder what happened next. So to kind of keep them wanting to get into the next chapter, wanting Mm -hmm. them to complete the story. So um, I think the reader will find it's it's a very engaging story and it's a very fast paced story. A lot of action. All right. So so it was conscious then when you were writing it, you wanted to keep it short. Oh, yes. For younger people. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. No, those are things that I absolutely kept in mind when I was writing for the young adult audience. And are you working on anything at the moment? So I am. Um, I'm actually excited about the piece I'm working with right now. Um, and that is I'm working on a story. It's a young, it's a for for children. It's the young child. It's part of my Giggleyville series. All of my books take place in the world of Giggleyville. So this is this magical, wonderful place. And you get to solve your problems in a positive way. I mean, wouldn't that be great <laughs> if we could do that in the real world? So um, the, yes, especially now. And so this book is very timely. It's about the elections. It's, um, it's actually the working title that I'm working with right now is called I Respectfully Disagree. <laughs> and so the piece that was most disturbing to me 
was the feeling that you couldn't have another opinion, that people weren't able to voice their own opinion, and you couldn't voice it in a respectful way. That if you were, you know, um, if you had another opinion that people would put you down or, um, you know, not be your friend or, you know, a lot of families have had difficulties because they were on different sides of the, you know, the blue and red. Mm -hmm. So um, I really, it was one of the things that troubled me. And one of the things that I thought was important to address with young children, because I think if we're going to change behavior, we're going to change it at a young age, we're going to change it with those three, four, five, and six year olds. And so I respectfully disagree was giving them the language that they could use. So hopefully if they agree, they disagree with something, they're able to say whether it's their parent, their friend, whatever, instead of saying to them, you're so stupid, I don't know why you would think that. I want them to say, I respectfully disagree. I don't feel that way. Wow. So the story is exactly that. It talks about, it's two characters from Giggleyville. Well, it's actually more than two, but two at a time that are dealing with different issues. So it starts off with two characters that have uh, favorite shapes. So again, that's part of my educational background. So I put in, you know, shapes are a big deal in early childhood. We talk about shapes, we talk about colors, we talk about numbers. So uh, these are two characters and one of them likes a circle and one of them likes a square. And they're both lobbying for their own opinion. And I'm okay with that. I think that's, that's we're a better world when everybody has a different opinion or when we're able to listen to someone else's opinion and when we're able to respectfully disagree. So uh, these two characters in the at the beginning, they like their own shape and they both lobby for their own shape, but within the language, they continually say, but I respectfully disagree. I respectfully disagree. Now, with in one of the areas that they're, they're having a disagreement on, they actually find a solution. They're able to find something that works for both of them that, you know, that they can both like. And so they, they so I build in the idea of compromise. So all of the books that I write are also a platform for discussion. And so whether it's a teacher or a parent or a grandparent, it, the, all the stories are great stories for discussion afterwards. So it's, it's often about, it's left to the child or to the reader to actually make a decision. The last book that I told you about, the uh, happiness book or the very unhappy visitor. So the end of the book is, is it's really the end of the story is it's up to you how you want to see the world. It really is up to you. If you want to see it in a positive way or a negative way, it's going to be up to you. In this respect, I respectfully disagree. We end off with that, you know, we think you should, you know, our feeling in Giggleyville is that you should value people's opinion, that we should value others' opinion, and that we should really feel good about that everybody has a different opinion, but to have a different opinion in a nice way and being nice to each other, and instead of calling each other names or putting each other down, to value the other's opinion. We have a new character that was introduced in this, um, in the latest book, and that is BK Bear, and it's his BK Bear's Be Kind Bear. So BK Bear is actually a, a bear. I know you're not doing, you might not be doing video, but here's the bear. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, is now available so that he can be a reading buddy with the kids. And, um, and again, Be Kind Bear will, appears in every single book. 
He wasn't named before, but he was always in the books. You could see him as another character in the book. And now he will take the role of always sort of pointing out the kindness aspect of the story. So how, do, how are we kind to each other? How can we be kind? And I think it's really, as, as you say, given the current climate of the world socially, that uh, it's really a great opportunity to, to talk about this, to talk about whether what kind of world do we want to have? What kind of society do we want to have? And how can we be part of it? How can we be part of the solution? How can we model good behavior? How can we model kindness? So uh, again, giving kids language is really important as well. It's especially young children because they often don't, they're often frustrated and angry. And so it's really important to give them words, words that work. And so I respectfully disagree, sounded like something that, you know, young children could pick up, that they would be able to, you know, say to somebody, you know, they don't feel that way. I respectfully disagree. And that's uh, a nice way of disagree, of still standing up for what you believe, believe in and not putting that other person down. And hopefully it will have that ripple effect and hopefully it will ripple effect to the parents who read the story. And, um, you know, again, looking at where we're at now, I think it's important that we heal that next generation, that we heal the children that are watching what's happened. The children who are watching how cruel adults are being to each other, they're watching. I think people are not aware of how much much young children pick up uh, in their environment and how much they actually see and hear and feel. Uh, and we need to address that as a society uh, if we're hoping for better. Absolutely. Such an important topic. If only America can be more like Giggleyville. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I often said throughout the last few years, I've often, you know, I, I'm on Facebook as well. And so often I'll post that, you know, who would like to come to Giggleyville? It's really <laughs> nice there. We have no, everybody's really nice to each other. They're kind. And it's not, you know, the other piece that I bring out in the Giggleyville series, it's not that people don't have issues or problems, but how can we solve them in a positive way? If we're able to always look for the positive and if we're able always to sort of look for for what we can do to solve the problem in a good way, Mm -hmm. as opposed to just being angry. I mean, being angry has no value to me. Right. No, it's such a such a timely thing to talk about. I, I spoke to a guy in my last season, Tom Rizzuto. He's also an educator. And he said something very interesting. He said he feels like we're losing nuance in our society. And I think he's spot on. And, and you seem to be addressing the same thing, but at a, at a younger age. And I don't think kids are really being taught that in schools. My wife is a teacher too, actually, in elementary school. She doesn't feel that they're, they're teaching things in, in, uh, in a balanced way either, you know, so the fact I respectfully disagree, it's, it's a, it's a very cool way to say, Hey, you can say what your uh, what you feel and what your opinions are. Other people can do the same and you don't have to be mad at each other. You can have a discussion and move on at the end of the day. Yes. Yes. No, I mean, I'm hoping that it really, uh, it's something that will, people will pick up. And again, uh, with the idea that hopefully parents will start to think about that as well, as they read the book, thinking, you know, at how silly that these characters are arguing about something so ridiculous, mm-hmm. which is often what you hear from, from adults as well. Often, if you think about what they're arguing about, it's often quite ridiculous. 
So to be able to say that, you know what, you're allowed to have another opinion, that it doesn't make you a better or worse person, doesn't make you, you know, it, it really is a matter of respecting other, you know, respecting each other, just actually the issue of respect altogether, of respecting another person. So if you respect others, you respect their opinion as well. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask if there are any last takeaways for our listeners, but I think that's a, that's a good one to end, end off on. You know, many of our listeners are writers. So do you have any other last takeaways for them? Uh, you know, I do have a couple and that would be from the business side of writing. Mm. So I actually started a, a publishing company as well. So, and the reason that I started a publishing company is when my first book came out, which is helping young children deal with grief. It's about a little girl whose grandfather died. Um, I had a publisher that wanted to publish it and I asked them to send me some of what they do. And what they sent me was uh, was at a quality that I personally did not like. Mm. So uh, what I realized is rather wait than waiting for someone else to publish, you can publish yourself, you can self-publish. And I learned how to do that. It took several years. It's not an easy process, but you know, now with the internet and with all of the things available, it's actually much easier. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other piece is, so I was able to write my stories and publish them as I wanted to and not have to wait for somebody else to make that decision. So again, being able to have control over my own work was important to me. I don't know how many of your listeners feel that way, but that was certainly important to me. And the other piece of it that was also uh, something that I'm sure they have encountered as well is once you write your work, how do you get it out to your readers? You know, that was another sort of uh, piece of the business side of writing. And that is, it's great to write books, but the reason we write, or certainly the reason that I write, is for other people to read it. Now, how do I get it into their hands? So the whole marketing, distribution, all of that was quite challenging and something that I learned a lot along the way. And uh, something that I'm sure many of your listeners who are also writers have experienced because that's, that is a struggle for, mm-hmm. for many, many writers. Yeah, myself included as well. So I, I self-publish as well. And the whole marketing aspect, it's, it's almost like it's uh, two different uh, aspects that you have to get really good at. You have to get good at the creative part so that you have content, and, but you also have to be good as a marketer and, and your own brand and company, basically, when you're yes. self-publishing. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's something that really it's again, for me, it was about thinking out of the box. So Mm -hmm. uh, one thing that, you know, I I certainly will share, and I don't know if your listeners or you uh, feel the same way. But one of the things I learned very quickly is the bookstore is the worst place to sell your books, which was (laughs) shocking to me, because it's probably the first place I went to, I thought I have a book, where would you sell it but a bookstore, right? Well, but now you're competing with about a million other books. <laughs> and how do you get your book to stand out when you're in uh, in a bookstore that, you know, Barnes and Nobles, for instance, thousands, millions of books that uh, how will they ever find your book? Unless somebody knows the title and somebody's looking for your particular book, how will they find it? Mm-hmm. So that that was something that uh, that I quickly learned and pivoted and decided that I'm not selling it through 
a bookstore, and even Amazon is a tough one to sell through. I do a lot of marketing other than Amazon. Amazon is where you can buy it, but the reality is you need to do lots and lots and lots of different types of marketing in order to get people to even know that it's available. Right. It's it's not like the field of dreams, you know, if you if you write it, they will read it or they will buy it, you know? Yeah, so that's not true in writing. <laughs> That's not true in writing. I, I would tell you that certainly in my experience, I don't know what your experience has been or what the what your your uh, listening audience feels, but that really has not been my experience. Same here. Well, that's very good advice. If people did want to follow you or reach out, where can they go about doing that? So my website is www.littleegg, that's L-I-T-T-L-E-E-G-G, publishing.com. And I also am on Amazon. I write under the name of J.E. Lawfer. So that's J, the letter E, and Lawfer. And uh, my Facebook page is Little Egg Reads, just as it sounds. And uh, my Instagram is at J.E. Lawfer. And I would love it if anybody wanted to get on and like my page. That would be great. I've got the books are all on there. Some of the products that we now have to go with the books. Like I have a pillowcase that goes with the children's books so that they can have a bedtime storybook and a pillowcase from Giggleyville. So it has some of the characters and it's kind of a fun way to go to bed. And uh, now we've got, as I showed you, it was a KB bear or BK bear. Sorry. Be kind bear. And uh, yeah, so it's through the Instagram, Facebook, website, Amazon. Yeah, we're on all of those. Well, I'll try to make sure I have all those links in our show notes. And thank you so much for coming on the show, Judy. I really had a great time and learned a lot. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. I enjoyed it as well. So that was my conversation with Judy Lawfer. I'll make sure all of her links are in the show notes so you can go ahead and purchase her books. Don't forget to sign up on storykingbooks.com to get your free copy of Kane's Confession. Remember, if you're interested in starting your own podcast, you can visit my website or amazon.com and for less than $5, purchase my latest ebook resource, Launch Your Podcast Like a Pro. Please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com forward slash the story king. All those links will be in the show notes. One more thing, if you're enjoying this podcast, please do me the favor of subscribing to it and leaving a positive review on iTunes, Spotify, or the medium of your choice. And share it with your friends and family on social media. I would greatly appreciate that. Thank you for listening to the Story King podcast, the show all about fiction, film, and form. Please join us next time. Until then.